The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you've got your copies of God's Word, turn with me to Genesis. Take a few moments tonight to uh, come to at least a resting spot in our series, uh, Foundations from Genesis. Foundations. Fifteen of them is what we're looking to establish. These are sanctities, that is, creation sanctities by God the Creator. And we are on our fifth one, gender and sexuality. Gender and sexuality. In our day and time where you're watching a cultural revolution that is putting in place a neo-pagan culture, and one of the principles of a neo-pagan culture is the drive to what's called androgyny. And that is a, uh, a uh, denial of the binary that God has created in creation, uh, that God has placed in creation. And the binary runs throughout crea- creation as God manifests the reality that he is one God in three persons by by establishing a creation, and in the creation he has placed binaries, that is, he has placed these distinctions in order to reflect who he is. So you've got land and sea, and you've got uh, male and female, and light and darkness, etc. And as these are being established, then uh, he is affirming um, who he is in the creation that reflects his glory. But man, who falls short of the glory of God because of sin, assaults God by assaulting the binary. That is, instead of worshiping the creator, the creature now worships the creation itself and denies the creator. And the way that you do that is to d- destroy all of the distinctives in creation in a religious fervor of rebellion against the Lord. So what I've tried to do is to go to these various sanctities. We've looked at the sanctity of divine revelation, we, the, how God has revealed himself in creation and in his word. We have looked at the sanctity of um, the sanctity of creation itself and understanding the creation account and what God is teaching us in the creation week and all of its implications in the week of redemption, Holy Week, and its ultimate, its ultimate fulfillment in, the, in our entrance into the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. Then we took the time to look at who man is created in the image of God. And then we also took the time to begin to, uh, to begin to establish this issue about creation, about gender and sexuality. Now, this is our fourth study. And, um, and I'm going to just use tonight the few minutes we have to kind of pull things together that you've got a resting place to come back when we return to this series in January. As you know, we've got the rest of the Advent Sunday night's outreach and celebration services that uh, Benny just walked us through. 
And uh, But I wanted to get us to a resting point in this matter. I'm not through yet with gender and sexuality tonight. Why? Because I want to take three Sunday nights to look at the issues. Now that we look at gender, God made them male and female. Two genders, and they are masculine, a masculine gender, and a feminine gender. That's what God has made. And understanding why man rebels against God, to deny that, uh, must also be affirmed is what does God create? And what does God has, what has God created? So tonight, I want to wrap up what I did last week to give you five, five essential understanding of what is masculinity and what is femininity, but I don't want to stop there. I want to take that further for you because the Bible describes something called a man of God and the Bible describes something called a woman of God. And I want to go from the creation account of male and female, and then go to the redemptive account, what does God's grace do when he makes a man of God? In other words, what is biblical masculinity? That's going to take me at least uh, two, two Sunday nights to do that. And then I want to go to, I do, then I want to go with fear and trembling to what is a woman of God? What is biblical femininity? What is masculinity and what is femininity? Not according to the stereotypes of a culture, but according to the biblical declarations themselves. Now let me just go ahead and say, some of what we call stereotypes in the culture are actually, are actually, um, are actually the fruit and product of what, of the impact of Christianity in understanding manhood and womanhood and, uh, and how it has been fleshed out in Western civilization. But, but I don't want to start there. I want to start back with the scriptures themselves. So when we get back in January, that first Sunday night, we're going to look at the two virtues of a Christian man, the five characteristics of a Christian man, and then we're going to look at one essential doctrine for a man to be faithful as a Christian man. And then we're going to do the same thing for biblical femininity as well. But I wanted to do the general dynamics of man, male, and female. I wanted to do it generally for us, and I want to go back and remind you our foundational text for um, for this sanctity of gender and and uh, sanctity of gender and sexuality. So go back with me to Genesis one one. The most the most as one as uh, Dr. Johnny Gibson says, the, and I agree with him, the most hated verse in the Bible by a secular culture. The most hated verse in the Bible. It's a crucial verse because everything else in your Bible from Genesis 1-2 through the end of Revelation 22 is a commentary on this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a binary. The earth was without form and void. It was tohu, formless. It was bohu. It was, uh, it was formless and it was um, unfilled, unformed and unfilled. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God begins to form it in the first three days and fill it in the next three days of creation. 
But as he is filling the creation, I want you to slip over now to our, our particular focus, and that is when God establishes man, male and female, gender and sexuality. And look with me in verse 26. And then God said, let us. Now, we know from looking through other passages of Scripture that plural is accommodating the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father authors our creation, the Son accomplishes our creation, and the Holy Spirit applies and hovers and orders that creation. And God said, let, let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now you see the anticipation. One God who dwells in three persons is now about to make man, see the singular, man, in his image, in our image. And let them, now he's telling you this Man, singular, that reflects the image of God, will have multiplicity. And that multiplicity we're about to see is male and female. So that that, uh, he will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, singular, how? Male and female, he created them. So to get man that reflects God, then man is made male and female, two genders and named by God. And God blessed them and God said to them, here's your task, man, male and female. One, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that creeps or that moves upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding fruit seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good. At the sixth day, he says, it was very good. As he, as he expands the benediction declaring with a good word that it's very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then if you will, go over to verse, um, go over with me to verse um, uh, 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. So he has made man male from the dust of the earth. And so, and he has now set him about his task, have dominion, subdue the earth, and be fruitful and multiply. So the man, he puts him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That would be to tend and defend. That's what he's called to do, to protect it and to order it. That's what he is supposed to do, and that's what he is made to do. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for it. Eat from it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now notice that God now has not only affirmed his commandment to him, his cultural or his creation mandate, 
Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, rule over the creation, but now he adds to it, do not, here's the negative, do not eat of this tree. And do not eat of this tree, but if you disobey, then you and all that is in you, all of humanity, is in the headship of Adam. And all of humanity has sinned when you sin, and so he, and thus he declares it. And, uh, and therefore comes under judgment and death. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now what that means is not that the man is psychologically or emotionally um, um, uh, in, uh, in, in a place of distress. It means that he can't do this mandate alone. And so after he has named all the animals, there is none that is suitable as a helpmate, a helper, a completer to accomplish. So just as man is made of the dust of the earth in order to subdue the earth, rule over the earth, and fill the earth, now that he would not do it alone, what does God do? The Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit, a suitable helper, a completer helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. See, he's exercising dominion. He's ruling over the creature. He's not only defining them, but is there one that's a suitable helpmate? The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So just as Adam had proceeded from the dust of the earth and God breathed into him the breath of life, now the woman comes forth from his side. As one writer has rightly said, he's not, she's not from his head, she's not over him, not from his feet, she's not under him. But here you see equality, equality but difference, equality but not sameness. Equality is not interchangeability. Equality is status. Both are necessary to reflect the image of God. But the one, and you see the two creation, uh, the two creation uh, acts, these are mediatorial acts. He doesn't create man and woman ex nihilo. He creates man and woman from what he has already brought into existence ex nihilo, and that is the heavens and the earth. And he makes the man, and then from the man, he makes the woman. From the side, she becomes the fit, suitable helpmate with him. And what does Adam do? He names her. Now, friends, please don't forget that. This is important. I mean, whenever we do this act of naming, naming is, whenever someone is naming, it's because God has delegated that authority to them. To name something is to have authority over it. Number two, to name something is to take responsibility for it, its protection, its care.
here, just as Adam is tending and defending the creation, so it is that uh, we are to tend and defend what we are responsible for. So when God gives the authority to name, he also has given the responsibility to take care of that which is named, and you are accountable for that action and for what that that person does or that which you have named does. You have accountability for it, uh, for them before the Lord. And therefore you have responsibility as well as accountability. So God has named man, male and female. But God named Adam directly and he named Eve through Adam thereby affirming Adam's headship and responsibility over Eve and his responsibility for her. And if you want, well, and I'll get to that in just a second. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one. So now you see the reflection of God, male and female, within the covenant of marriage. One God and three persons. Now you have man, one man, male and female, within the covenant of marriage, thereby declaring the fullness of the triune God, as both are required for that responsibility, to for that uh, for that privilege to reflect God, it requires both man, male, and female. Thus you see the equality of male and female, yet the distinction for Adam to be able to have dominion, for Adam to be fruitful and multiply, for Adam to subdue the earth. God didn't make another man. God made the woman. And Adam, in his delegated responsibility, names her. And Adam will have responsibility for her before the Lord. So, what is it that we can begin to get before us in terms of gender and and the gender insights on sexuality that is male and female from creation? Well... Can I now make a confession? I mentioned this morning that when I outlined these things and gave them last week, um, while I could not, for the life of me, get an amen, I did get a number of corrections to my numbering in the middle of the service. And uh, and so I, I realized that I made some mistakes and confused in the numbering because I got confused on the numbering. And um, I, I remember the guy one time that had a button on that said K. On the button, and the guy said, "What does that K stand for?" He said, "Confused." <laughs> and he said, "He said confused doesn't start with a K; it starts with a C." He said, "You don't know how confused I am." So uh, there are times, and that, that was one of those that I was confused, and I wanted to bring order. So I put it on a PowerPoint for you to send it to you, and then, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't send it. Did I send it? What's the next slide? That's what I thought. Okay, so I didn't get it, so now I'm just going to list it for you. And then I will make sure it's printed somewhere this week. But you go ahead and try to put... So what does creation tell us? What does the Creator, through the act of creation, tell us about the sanctity of gender and sexuality, specifically male? Five things. Now, we're going to go further than this when we go into biblical masculinity. 
Because we're going to add the dynamic of redemption. What does grace do in the life of a man that's saved? And what does it call them, call us to be and do? But these, this just comes from the foundational observations from the creation account. First of all, Adam is created first. Therefore, he has headship responsibilities. He precedes Eve and precedes their procreation. Adam is created first. Now don't, again, I just don't have time, but if you'll go over to first, uh, second Timothy, and if you'll take a look as Paul orders the church, and he says that only qualified men are to be elders, and, uh, and then the offshoot of that office, deacon, as he does that and establishes it and affirms it, he refers to two things. I'm going to mention one of them now and the other one in just a moment. He says, because it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. In other words, when God writes something or does something, order matters. Order matters. He doesn't create the followership first or the fellowship first. He creates the leadership first. So that's the first thing. Now, folks, you're going, let me just go ahead and say, I know I'm swimming upstream on the culture, and I'm just going to leave it to you as to whether you want your world and life you framed by the, by the culture or by the Scripture. And if you want to be framed by the culture, let me ask you, how's that working? Insanity, absurdity, immorality, and lethality. That's the culture. But if we say no to self-exaltation and yes to God's revealed word, then we have to deal with what God has done and what God has affirmed. Then secondly, in headship, he declares Adam's responsibility for Eve. Adam is responsible for Eve, and there is no more telling moment than in chapter 3 of Genesis. In chapter 3 of Genesis, who is it that violates God's word by taking of the tree and eating first? Who is it? This isn't hard. Now, I'm not trying to trick you. Eve. But it's not called in the Bible Eve's sin. It's called the sin of Adam. Now, there are multiple reasons that I want to share with you why it's called the sin of Adam. But I'm only going to give you one tonight. The others, I'm going to wait till we get to the sanctity of marriage. But right now, let me just give you one. That Adam in his headship is responsible. He is responsible before the Lord for what Eve did. Now, what Eve did does not go unnoticed. I just quoted from you from the epistle of Timothy, the order and the responsibility of men in the church qualified men to occupy the offices of elder and deacon, the ordained offices. That doesn't mean that there's not female leadership in the church. Praise God. We've got female leaders ready and available and working on leadership team after leadership team after leadership team. But the ordained leadership is set aside only for called and qualified men. And the first reason he gives for that is because Adam was first created and then Eve. The next verse gives the second reason. It was Adam, I'm sorry, it was Eve who was deceived and then Adam. 
You see, instead of Adam's headship being exercised, Adam retreated in his silence. Because when we study Genesis 3, you'll see that while she's eating and listening not to the voice of the Lord through Adam, who was silent, but to the voice of the evil one who questioned the integrity and inerrancy of God's word, that God was a liar. And Adam's silence is deafening. What he should have done is what the second Adam will do. He should have crushed the head of the serpent. What he should have done was what the second Adam would do. Do you not know the word of God? What he should have done after it was done is say to the Lord, not blame Eve, take me in place of Eve, as the second Adam does, who takes the place of his bride, the church. And so when you get it out of order, the whole of humanity has been plunged into ruin. So here is the order, it's established, and with the order of headship, comes responsibility and that means and that means headship so number one is Adam was created first he precedes Eve therefore he has a position a divine calling of headship then headship is to be manifested by responsibility for those in whom God has given you authority and responsibility. Number three, headship is manifested by initiation. You are put there in the position of headship to initiate. We call that leadership. Headship is a call to leadership, initiatory leadership. And I've just given you multiple points where Adam did not, Adam retreated from initiating leadership and his silence and in his withdrawal. I remember I was in uh, Egypt and I took a group, my first church I pastored in Miami. We went to Israel, my first trip to Israel. I'm looking forward to this year's. And uh, and then also, but then uh, we, we did a side trip to Egypt and you got to go up in a pyramid. So I went up in the middle of a pyramid and we're standing in this little four by four hole where everybody's bent over. And when we get to the middle of the pyramid, right in the middle of it, the guy cuts the light off. It is pitch black dark and uh, he says uh, there are now 20 million tons of rock over you that has been standing for 6,000 years we hope it holds and uh, I had a guy right there that was next to me one of my elders named John and he said I'm getting out of here and his wife looked at him and Margaret said to him said John lead follow or fall out we're out of here right now So she was going to follow him, but she made sure he was going. That's the same woman who, when I preached on this at Pinelands, came up to me and said, Pastor, you're right. My husband is the head of our home. But I want you to know I'm the neck, and I turn that head where I want it to go. And I said, well, that's a good joke, but we're not going to build that into our discipleship, Margaret. Well, anyway, so headship is to be initiator, and headship is to tend and defend Headship is a call to being a provider. 
that the, that the man is called to be a provider. And fifthly and finally, he is called to be a protector, a protector of that which he is responsible. Our Lord gives us many principles of this. The metaphor of a man as a servant. The metaphor is a man as a shepherd. The metaphor of a man as a steward. All of those take into account this call to, uh, to the creation's revealing of what masculinity is. Well, what about, what about femininity? Oh my goodness, I'm going to give you all time for testimony. What about femininity? Let me give you those and then I'll close with one verse of scripture. So, then the, what about the female creation markers? Well, number one, Eve was created from. Adam precedes Eve. Eve proceeds from Adam. Therefore, she is to come alongside of him. Number two, that means biblical femininity is a ability and calling to be the completer. Number three, to be the helper. And I'm just using what God has revealed. That what the creation reveals and the creation account reveals she proceeds from Adam, therefore, under his headship, number two, she is a completer. Number three, she is a helper. This morning, I tried to preach on the Holy Spirit, who is our, what? Helper. Can I say this carefully? Not be misunderstood? He's not the help. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the completer of what he does in our life. He takes as the helper from the resources of Christ and gives them to us and then brings us back to him. That is the unique picture of the giftedness of a godly woman. And then she is a receiver she is receiving from the hand of the Lord. She even receives her name. When God names Eve, he names Eve through Adam. She will receive from Adam for their procreation. She will receive from Adam as they initiate the tending and defending and fulfilling of the creation mandate. And then number five, she is a nurturer and a developer. She has this amazing gift that nurturing, even when receiving the seed and the embryo in the womb, it is the woman that begins to nurture and to develop. We try to indicate that up here at baptisms as the husband in his responsibility as a father will name the child and the blessing. And you'll notice that I always give the child back to the mother for two reasons. Number one, it's a good idea. <laughs> Number two, there's a reason it's a good idea. That child senses and knows a mother's arms. The mother's ability to nurture and develop. That's what God has built into femininity. I was telling you about this uh, I got some, had to be put under and with some strong things for a tooth problem. And I remember the 
the elder who is my was the oral surgeon over top of me uh, going to work on me and I remember and hey I mean he was just kind of reaching in and grabbing things and everything but that precious lady just kept patting my shoulder well not only did that help she was a nurturer and uh, but I can tell you right now I really wasn't interested in my surgeon patting my shoulder tell you the truth Uh, he just doesn't have that ability that gift there's something that God puts there within the woman. And then, um, and therefore she is the nurturer and developer. So she is, uh, she proceeds from him to come alongside of him as completer, number two, helper, number three, receiver, and then number four, nurturer and developer. Now would you turn for a closing word from Galatians chapter three, because this is the one that everyone's going to come to you and say, yeah, that's back there in that creation thing that first of all is probably a myth and you ought not to listen to it. But, uh, secondly, listen, why don't you know your Bible? Haven't you ever read Galatians chapter three? And, uh, look what God says to us in his word in Galatians chapter 3. And that all of that's been done away with. Look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse uh, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's go back to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Say, Pastor... Um, it's egalitarianism. We're all interchangeable. There's no difference. Okay. First of all, you've done violence to this text. Secondly, you've done violence to the context of this text. Let me ask you a question. According to Revelation chapter 5, when we get to heaven, what's one of the first things that is noted for us in Revelation chapter 5 of the elect of God that is gathered there? How is it described? Does anyone happen to know what it says in Revelation 5? There will be multitudes of every tribe and nation. Our ethnicities don't disappear. Here's what he's telling you. There's not a European gospel. There's not a Jewish gospel. There's not a, um, uh, an African gospel. There's not any ethnic gospel. There is the gospel of Christ. Not for any one ethnicity. That's why he tells us to go to all the nations where the elect are coming from every ethnicity. You go find, you go to the human race. One race, multiple ethnicities. Then they come to the singular race of the saved in their ethnicities and in their maleness and in their femaleness. But we don't have a male gospel and a female gospel, a slave gospel and a slave, uh, the slave owner gospel, bond or free. We don't have a, uh, we don't have a Roman gospel and a Jewish gospel. No, there is one gospel of Jesus Christ and that we are all one in Christ. The ground is level at the cross. That's where we stand together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism in and through our Lord. 
This does it, and uh, you'll notice that um, Paul, the same Paul that writes this, will also say, here's what a woman is to do in worship. Here's what a man is to do in worship. Clearly, the work of Christ has not eradicated male, female, Jew, Gentile, bond and free. On the contrary, it has united us no matter of those distinctions that we have in Christ. And we are all saved by one blood, one spirit, one cross, one atonement, one spirit indwells us. And that is what he is telling us there. Last thing I would just like to mention to you and encourage you to come back with me on biblical masculinity in light of redemption and biblical femininity in light of redemption as we return to this in January. Uh, But uh, not only to do that, but I just want to remind you of one thing. When you get saved, you get saved by what? Faith. And when you get saved by faith, what do you do? You walk by faith, right? And faith comes from what? Hearing the word. Right? Well, what's true of you was true of Adam. Adam received the word of God. But he did not walk by faith. He walked by sight. Therefore... God's grace is to send His Son and send the word of redemption so that we can be saved by faith in hearing the word of Christ. And now we can live as God called Adam to live. You're saved by faith through the hearing of the word. Now walk by faith as you're discipled by the word in the power of of the Spirit. Adam's Adam's refusal to walk by faith and its disastrous consequences for all of us beginning with Eve has been redeemed through Christ our Lord. Now we can be saved by faith to be restored and now walk by faith. Men can love their wives and protect them, and love them, and shepherd them, and defend them, and guide them as joint heirs, no hierarchy, as joint heirs of the grace of life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Now thank you that we can give thanks with a grateful heart. God, I thank you for these who love you. May your love be heard from them and manifested to them. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.